This teaching comes to you from the team at St. Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Good morning, everyone. The first reading comes from 1 John, chapter 2, verses 7 to 17. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Hear the word of the Lord. The second reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 21 to 30. Once more Jesus said to them, I am going away, and you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, Will he kill himself? Is that why he says, Where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? They asked. Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy and what I've heard from him, I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he 
and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for the Holy Scriptures, their precepts, promises, directions and light. In them, may we learn of Jesus Christ, grasp his truth and have grace to follow in his steps. Amen. Please be seated. Now, who was Jesus? It would be fair to say that there is no more admired historical figure in the history of the world than the one we know as Jesus of Nazareth. Even those who do not call themselves Christians have admired him. People as diverse as the warlike general of France, Napoleon Bonaparte, and Gandhi, the maker of peace, they have expressed their admiration for Jesus of Nazareth. The writer, the American writer, Ralph Waldo Emerson, said that the name of Jesus is not so much written as ploughed into the history of the world. Surely he's right in saying that. Jesus was a byword for humility in an age when being humble was not a virtue. He was an extraordinary figure in his time and has remained an extraordinary figure, a figure of fascination ever since. As Professor Edwin Judge said uh, from Macquarie University, he said, humility in Greek and Roman ethics would be a degrading thing. And against that backdrop, Jesus stands out. He lived a simple life without the trappings of wealth and honour. He was focused on the service of others. He did not exalt himself. Indeed, he spoke of his own mission by saying, do you remember these words from Mark 10, 45? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, giving of his own life. But because we know Jesus in this way, we know him as the humble Lord, we aren't ready for the strength of the statements that we read in passages like John chapter 8. We can't square it with what we've come to expect. Because let's be clear, you can't make bigger statements than the kind of statements Jesus makes about himself in these words. We would expect them from a Trump or from a Putin or perhaps from a Muhammad Ali who said, of course, I am the greatest. But we don't expect them from Jesus Christ, the humble Lord. And that's the puzzle and the challenge of these words, of this passage today. Who is this Jesus? We might say with his audience, who are you? As they said in verse 25. Who does he say that he is? And then who do you say that he is? And, and will that make a difference? Because if what Jesus, this extraordinary man, says is true, a great deal rides on how you will respond. Well, who does Jesus say that he is? Our words in John chapter 8, our passage from John chapter 8, records a rather prickly exchange between Jesus and the people who gathered around him in the temple to hear him. It's a matter of controversy and dispute. 
The Jewish leaders and the crowds were watching for him. And there was this debate about who his identity was, even before he got to Jerusalem in the first place. Some said, oh, he was a good man. You'll find this, by the way, at the beginning of chapter 7, with this little discussion about who Jesus was. Others said, no, 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 he's a deceiver. He's a charlatan, just another religious trickster, conning people out uh, of their wits. Some said he was a prophet. Some went all in and said, yes, this is the Messiah of long ago. And of course, when people get that extreme about, one, have that one verdict about someone, when someone has people who are their followers like this, no doubt there are always those who oppose them. And so there were alarmed people who said, we're really cautious here. We don't think that he must be an imposter. And there were those who were plotting to kill him. You can feel the tension in the dialogue as people put sharp questions to Jesus and he delivers some equally sharp replies, like a great episode of Q&A if you remember those. Who does Jesus think he is? Well, he says three things. He says that he's from above. He says that he's the son of man. And he says that he's the savior. From above, the son of man and the savior. So firstly, he says in verse 23 that he's from above. Jesus claims to be from somewhere else and that he's going back to where he came. He's not from this world, a place, he says, that people can't come because of their sin. He says that in verse 21. It's inaccessible to them, but not to him, because they come from a different place. Now, I don't know if you've ever lived in a new city. Uh, Sydney might be a new city for you to live in, a place that's not your home originally. Uh, you're not from around here. You might have had that experience here or somewhere else. I lived in England for three years, back in the 2000s, and usually the experience of being from somewhere else is somewhat of a, a disadvantage. You, you just don't know the customs and conventions. People say, where's your accent from? Is that from New Zealand? You have to live with the embarrassment of that. Um, you don't have the network of friends. Although I have to admit, I did use the very broad Australian accent once. Uh, I had been talking on my mobile phone in the car and a policeman pulled me over and I said, oh, he said, what are you doing? And I said, oh, excuse me, mate, I just don't know where I am. Can you please help me? I'm not from around here. And uh, he, he bought it. <laughs> I talk like that all the time, of course. Jesus was already suspect to the crowd because of his origins. In fact, he was from out of town. He was from up north, from Galilee. And he probably spoke, you can imagine, with a distinctly regional accent. But now he claims not simply to be not of this town, not of Jerusalem, but not of this world. He's from out of this world. He's from above. This isn't a new idea for John's gospel you might remember from the opening of John's gospel that John has prepared us for this by saying that Jesus is the word who was with God and who was God from the beginning of all things. In fact, he, he was so close to God there that you could identify him with God. Through him, all things were made. That is where from above is. It is the realm where the creator dwells, the father, where he is. My father's house as Jesus will call it. The origin, not just of Jesus, but indeed of all that is. In the last 100 years or so, we've, we've tended to emphasize the real humanity of Jesus. We've wanted to see that he's one of us, a flesh and blood human being, a person who sweats with dirt in his nails, 
a person who cries alongside us, someone who's deeply empathetic with us in our experience, knowing our frailty from within. And indeed, we want him to be like us. And indeed, that is who he is. He was like us in every way, says Hebrews, but without sin. But he's also deeply not like us. He's also from somewhere else. He comes from a different place to us. He lived in this world. He pitched his tent among us, as John says, but he was not from this place. Now, it's not just a matter of special origin. It's a matter of special access. Jesus has been sent as an ambassador from the Father. He alone has the right to speak as the one who has come from the Father's side. He says in verse 26, He who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. Again in verse 28, you'll see there, I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. He claims to be from above, not from this place. And he also claims to be the Son of Man. You'll see that in verse 28, when you've lifted up the Son of Man. Now you've heard Jesus use this phrase of himself many times. He does it in the Gospels and it sounds like quite a modest title. After all, what could be more human than a person who is the son of another human being? The child of mortal flesh is surely a human. That is about as human as you could get. But this title, Son of Man, is a messianic title. It actually goes back to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. In Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14, we read of an extraordinary scene. And this is the scene. Daniel says, In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heavens. He approached the Ancient of Days, and that's Daniel's way of talking about God, and was led into his presence. He was given authority and glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. Sticky pages. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not last away, that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now, May the 6th next year is a very special date. Why is it a special date? Coronation, thank you. Good royalist over, over here. Thank you, Mark. Uh, King Charles III will be crowned, the first coronation in many of uh, our lifetimes. And that'll be a, an extraordinary day when people will gather from around the world and by symbol and by prayer and by the ceremony that is there and by the acclamation of all those that gather, King Charles III will be given honour and glory and his dominion will be recognised, his rule over many peoples of the world. And yet... That is nothing like the coronation scene we see here. The coronation scene that Daniel has in his vision is of one like a son of man who, who possesses now, is given now, all authority and dominion, everlasting dominion. King Charles is coming surely to the last decades of his life. His dominion will not last forever, for sure. It certainly will not last 70 years but this dominion, the dominion of the Son of Man, will last far, far beyond that dominion. You can see what Jesus is doing when he uses this title of himself. He's claiming that this future scene is about him. Authority, glory, sovereign power. Receiving the worship and adulation of the nations. 
an everlasting empire. It's pretty big. He's claimed a special origin, that he's from above, and special access to the Father. He claims now a special destiny, a a special rule, a coronation scene. And now he claims for himself a special identity. Twice in this passage, he uses the mysterious phrase, I am he. It's really odd when you read it, isn't it? So the way Jesus talks here in verse 24, if you do not believe that I am he, we, 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 we respond as the crowds respond. Well, I am he? Who is he? Who are you? I am he. And then in verse 28, he says it again. I do nothing on my own. I, you will know when, you, when you've lifted up the Son of Man that I am he. You'll remember, though, that when Moses encountered God in the burning bush back in Exodus chapter 3, he asked God's name, and God gave him his name. And his name was something like, I am who I am. He said, go tell Israel that I am has sent you to bring you out of Egypt. The words that we have here Ego Amy in the Greek can be translated, I am he, but they can, also, they can also be translated, I am. Jesus is certainly alluding to that dramatic moment when God, revealed, God himself revealed his name, I am. But more directly, Jesus is sounding like the voice of God from the prophet Isaiah, who declares that God will come to save his people from their sins. Again and again, You hear the voice of God saying, I am he in Isaiah, especially in chapters 40 through to 41. In Isaiah 41 verse 4, he says, I the Lord, the first and with the last, I am he. And in chapter 43 verse 13, also henceforth, I am he. And in chapter 43 verse 25, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my my own sake. And remembers your sins no more. Jesus says, when he says, I am he, he says, I am that one. The one, he, who was promised from long ago, the presence of God in human form, who will blot out your sins and remember them no more. Who will win for you forgiveness, new life and access to the Father. And this is a good point for us to pivot to the question, not of Jesus, who Jesus is, but of who we are, if Jesus is who he says he is. For the identity of Jesus is not an interesting but ultimately irrelevant matter, but of deeply personal significance to us all. If he is from above, then where are we from? We are from below. Without him, we will die in our sin. And apart from faith in him, we cannot go to the Father. And see those three points I've got under point three there. From below we are, we will die in our sin, and also we cannot go where Christ has gone. Well, we are from below. The contrast is pretty clear. As Jesus says in verse 23, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. We are of this world in the sense that we are of this fallen, cracked and broken earth, marked by sin and darkness, death and decay. It's a world in rebellion against its creator. It's a fractured place, subject to futility, as Paul puts it in Romans chapter 8. We heard that a couple of weeks ago. 
And that is, at the moment, our home. That is our origin and the place to which we will return. Dust you are, said God to Adam, and to dust you shall return. Just as Jesus' destiny is to return to the place he came from, so our destiny is where we have come from. And we are stuck. Indeed, without Christ, he says, we will die in our sins. We are caught in a vicious loop, going around and around like a fly in a jar. We will not break free. We will not find the path to the Father. And worse, to die in our sins, as Jesus expresses it here, is to die unforgiven, unalleviated of the problem of our sin, un unjustified it's to face the just judgment of God with our sins still on the record without access to the company of God but there is a way in verse 24 Jesus says something that sounds harsh but that offers hope he says here he puts it negatively doesn't he in verse 24 if you do not believe that I am he you will indeed die in your sins this is a fairly stark statement, isn't it? But here is Jesus Christ, your rescue from the vicious and futile cycle of sin and death. Now, if he's just a good man, if he's just a prophet, an inspired person, a writer of pleasant sentiments, or a crazed religious fanatic, then all is lost. If he's not from above, then he is doomed, and we along with him. But here's the proposition. If he's from above, if he is God come to say, if it is true that I am he, as Jesus says, if he's the son of man to whom all authority in heaven and on earth is given, then you will not indeed die in your sins. There is a way out. Indeed, Jesus will say to his disciples in chapter 14 of John's Gospel, these memorable words, In my Father's house there are many rooms. You might remember it as, In my Father's house there are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus will take us to the place we cannot by nature go, there to find a home next to the Father's heart. He later says, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one, he says, comes to the Father but through me. But there is a path to the Father through him. A hint of how he will do this is in verse 28. When you, those, those strange words, he says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man. For he will be lifted up. He will be lifted up to the cross. The crowds and the Pharisees, those listening to him, many of those listening to him that day, will put him to death in a way in which they think will extinguish his light, a way in which they think will disgrace him. But through the cross, Christ's work of saving the world will be accomplished. And ironically, through the cross, he will be glorified. Through the cross, he will reveal for those with eyes to see that he has come from above, and that he is doing the will of the Father who is in heaven. On the cross, he will complete his rescue of humankind so that we need not die in our sins, for he has borne the punishment due to us. 
Now in verse 30, we see that even as he spoke, many believed in him. What did that mean? They accepted the truth that Jesus was speaking here about himself. They found him convincing and compelling. They found that this was not arrogance or insincerity or insanity, but the truth. The truth not just about him, but the truth about them. They had the eyes to see who Jesus really was. And they could see that he was also speaking this truth in a way that affected who they were. He spoke of the depth of their human need, their need, for God's salvation from the world of darkness and despair. The French mathematician Blaise Pascal put it this way, not only do we know, not know God except through Jesus Christ, we do not even know ourselves except through Jesus Christ. Or to put it positively, we know God through Jesus Christ. And through Jesus Christ, we truly know ourselves. This is what those who believed him that day discovered. So what's your verdict? What do you see when you look at Jesus? Many people admire Jesus for his humble life. They can see the central place that love has in his message. In fact, McCrindle Research did a study in 2017 inviting uh, people who were not religious around Australia to say what they thought of Jesus Christ. And many, many people said they admire Jesus Christ, especially for his message of love. They know him as a, a teacher of love. They celebrate, they say, the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount. Though when people say they enjoy the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount, I tend to believe that they haven't read it. But merely to admire him is to keep him very much in this world. To merely admire him is to domesticate him, to, de to, to tame him in some way, to avoid the prickly and uncomfortable truths that Jesus very often has for us, to deny what he says about himself and what he came to do and what he says indeed about us. We are not, says Jesus, in need of advice, of telling to be more kind, of more instruction, of another, yet another self-help book, another TED talk. We need salvation from our sins or we will die in them. To believe in Jesus is to believe who he claimed to be. To believe in Jesus is to trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins. And to believe in Jesus is to accept him as your Lord, the Son of Man to whom all power and glory and authority will be given, who will rule an everlasting kingdom. And it was not just Worthy of your admiration, although he is worthy of your admiration, but worthy of your worship. Now today, where do you stand? You may be an admirer, but not yet a follower. He may be someone who inspires you, but you do not yet have him as your saviour and your lord. Now, there's certainly more to know about Jesus before you make up your mind. And I'm pleased to say that our Alpha course, which starts this Thursday evening, is uh, right there for you. It'd be a great way to take the next step, to go a little bit deeper, to investigate more about the claims of this extraordinary person. But it might be that today you're ready to join those who believed in him that very day. 
Perhaps this has struck you with more clarity than before. If that's you, then can I invite you to pray a prayer with me now? A prayer that Billy Graham used to use, the great evangelist, the great evangelist used to use, and indeed the prayer that he said one night in 1959 when my own father went down at the city creek ground, went down the front, accepted Jesus Christ for who he said he was, his Lord and his Saviour. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Saviour. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.